Hello, and welcome again to the Big Picture Social-Emotional Learning Podcast, which more accurately should probably be called the big, deep, wide, all-inclusive, no-holds-barred, whole-life social-emotional learning podcast. Because from my point of view, social-emotional learning is so much more than reading emotions, our own or others, even though there is, of course, great value in that. And it's so much more than behavior management, even though there's great value in that too, of course. And social-emotional learning is about so much more than responsible decision-making. Again, so important. But the thing is, from my experience as a teacher for over 20 years, SEL is everything that contributes to life skills, everything that contributes to fuller, happier, richer, more meaningful, and more mutually respectful and honest lives for everyone, all of us, teachers included. This episode, like its subject, is rich and filled with many layers of insights, insights that might at first not seem obviously relevant to the topic of social-emotional learning, but I hope you'll listen all the way through because there is a lot of love and wisdom in this conversation, and there's some valuable advice um, for how to deepen your students' learning experiences during and after uh, the time that you've shared Leo and Leah, the book that's the subject of this episode. And you'll definitely want to check out this show's notes for some fun resources related to this conversation. Again, welcome to the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast. My name is Nene White, and I was so glad for the opportunity to share this rich conversation with Monica Wesolowska, the author of Leo and Leah, which was published in August of 2022 by Scholastic. Monica is also an editor, a speaker, and a teacher. Thank you again for being here. So today we're going to see why this podcast is called Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast, because it isn't always just the emotions that uh, so many SEL educators focus on it's or directly and I, I just love that I get to talk to Monica Wesolowski Wesolowska I apologize that's okay it <sighs> used to be Wesolowski and I changed it to Wesolowska oh yeah that's the feminine form of my name in Polish and I just like the way it sounds better okay I think I agree <laughs> and you are feminine so perfect sense all right so we um, are going to talk about something that will take a bit of attention and commitment on the listeners' parts to see how this conversation seemed important to me to share with others. So thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the lovely book that you created. Well, I'm and delighted to be here and so glad that the book resonated for you. Yes. Yes, it did. Uh, I think what resonated especially much was how much you care about it. And that really communicates. And of course, it communicates, communicated to me, and but I know it communicates with children, which we will talk about that a little bit in the future. But for right now, one of the things that I wanted to start out talking about, and 
sharing conversation with you about was that one of the most important and influential layers of social emotional learning is seeing and really seeing and accepting others, no matter how much they aren't like us. In other words, how maybe different they are from us. And which, um, so let's start with talking a little bit about the main characters of your book, Leo and Leah, and how are they different? Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Difference. It's, it's so important to figure out and embrace. Um, and you know, creativity itself for me is all about difference. Uh It's about, of course, seeing something I don't understand, wishing that I did bringing disparate elements together. (laughs) So that's really what happened with this book. I met a boy, um, in a kindergarten classroom who didn't like story time at all. He just liked math and I'm not that way at all. Right. So I thought, wow, what would that feel like? Uh So Leo um, in the book is a boy who just wants to count. Okay. During story time. Okay. And to the exclusion of all else at school. So he doesn't actually talk to any of the other kids. He doesn't talk to his teacher, but he seems content counting. Yeah. Leah is a little girl who shows up partway through the school year and she doesn't count. She draws. She definitely doesn't count. Yeah, she draws. (laughs) So, So I have these two kids who seem quite different. One counts, one draws. I think we tend to think in this culture that somehow math is very different from art. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. So, so I brought those two together to see what would happen. Um, it, there's other ways in which um, these kids are different from each other and from the rest of the class. I mean, they, they might both be neurodivergent in their own ways. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know, not spelled out. Um, it, it could Which be, I appreciate. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, I think it's really amazing what people bring to the book and who they relate to and for what reasons. Yeah. yeah. And then it's also just a really diverse classroom. And mm-hmm. so, you know, Kennard Pack, the illustrator, did a wonderful job of creating all these different kids, including some kids with blue hair and some kids with pink hair. And um, Leo seems to be the only Asian kid in his classroom and, and Leah is African-American and, you know, they, they, they bring that difference. They're a boy, yeah. they're a girl. So, you know, yeah. there's just a lot of potential ways in which they might feel that they are not uh, suited for each other, but their teacher puts them at the same desk. And you know, what happens when you yeah. have to sit at a desk with someone Yeah you have to figure it out. Right. And that is what starts to happen between Leo and Leah. Right. And then you bring in this whole other dimension and layer of the Fibonacci sequence. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, listeners, did you hear that? We are going in all kinds of directions and it's all going to get put to get pulled together in this lovely, lovely book. So first of all, your book helped me to appreciate Fibonacci sequence. I mean, I've always appreciated it, but 
I was able to wrap my mind and my thoughts and my ability to work with it after uh, looking and at and reading your book and being when you were presenting your book at a at a gallery. So tell us how the Fibonacci fits into this whole story, how it brings these characters together, and why should we care? Why should yeah. we care? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, as I said, I met this boy who didn't like story time. He just liked math. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I wonder if I could write a story that he might like. And mm. my idea was that I could write a story where the words on the page actually follow a math pattern. Mm. Now I'm not a math person. Mm -hmm. And I was one of those little girls way back in second grade who started to feel like maybe math wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. I'd get really upset especially around things like negative numbers. I just didn't understand why they were invented. Mm -hmm. You know, they felt fairly artificial to me. And um, so, so, uh, so there I was um, thinking, oh my goodness, I want to write a book that's based on a math pattern. And I don't know a lot about math, but um, I started to, to research and think about it. And I learned about the Fibonacci sequence. Mm -hmm. And this seemed like a really perfect pattern to use for this book. Mm -hmm. So um, for people who don't know what that is, because mm -hmm. if you've never heard of it, it just sounds like a really kind of fancy, intimidating word, perhaps. Um, the Fibonacci sequence is actually quite simple in terms of kids' ability to approach the math of it, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it's always just the adding of two numbers, starting with zero and one. Mm -hmm. So zero and one is one, mm -hmm. then one and one is two. Mm -hmm. And two and one is three. So it's very small at first, but pretty soon it gets big, fast. Five, eight, 13, 21, 34, 55, and it goes on forever. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's nice that the math is simple and that meant I could follow the words. But even more exciting, and I'm sure this is why you had heard about the Fibonacci sequence, is that it is has been found to be connected to nature. Mm -hmm. So a lot of flowers have a Fibonacci number of petals. Mm -hmm. The spiraling arrangement of leaves, uh, of yeah, of leaves on on plant stems mm -hmm. follows a ratio of Fibonacci numbers. Um, mm -hmm. We can see in the spiraling arrangement of sunflower seeds that the spirals in one direction are a Fibonacci number, and the mm -hmm. spirals in the other direction are the subsequent Fibonacci number. It's mm -hmm. really astounding. Mm -hmm. uh, to see that nature has somehow been using this pattern. Mm -hmm. Perhaps people don't fully understand it, but perhaps um, this gives room for things to grow, to get enough sunlight or mm -hmm. water or air, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought, oh my goodness, what a wonderful metaphor for a boy who's growing and trying to figure out his place amongst other people. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that's how I came to the Fibonacci sequence as mm -hmm. a kind of a, a, a template, but also a metaphor. So it has both a very practical application. You can literally count the words on each page. Yes. The middle has 55 words, then it reverses and goes back down to one. Right. So if you're a little kid who really wants to count, 
you can count those words, you can count things on the page. Right. But if you're a little kid who really is more interested in stories and metaphor and poetry, well, then you've got this beautiful friendship story where you're waiting to find out if Leo will befriend anyone, which I think a lot of kids, you know, have that anxiety when they go off to school, who will be my friend? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, right away that Leo's out there without a friend. And so I think that question is raised right away. Will he, will he talk to anyone? Will he find anyone? Will he find his place at this school? Right. And then it was even taken another layer, the artist taking the Fibonacci sequence with the intensity of the colors of, yeah. on each page. I mean, that, that was just like, oh, so yeah. cool to, be, to have the senses in reading to uh, children, to have them be able to be awake in wherever their radar tunes into. Plus yeah. that friendship, the way that it develops, where it wouldn't, you wouldn't automatically, well, they both like trains or they both like to paint or that, no, they're so different. And yet there's this yeah. unifying principles that go through it that, uh, that feels so relevant that, and I use that word feel because feeling is very important when you're really trying to understand how friendships work. Yeah, this is definitely a, a kind of tactile experience, I think, mm-hmm. when I received the book and got to hold it in my hands mm-hmm. for the first mm-hmm. time and opened it up and saw the brilliant yellow of the so the, pretty, you know, just amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, you know, the way that picture books work, um, Scholastic bought the text yeah. They said, we're excited about this story of friendship and math and neurodivergence and all the other juicy things that are happening in it. Yes. And now we're going to figure out an illustrator who might bring it to life. And yeah. so I had this really, I mean, I had some say in it and I uh-huh. saw Canard uh, Pack's work and I thought, oh my God, he's amazing. This will be wonderful. But then I just had to wait, oh, yeah. wait and wait. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, it took five years <gasps> to come out. Ouch. Yeah, that's an exercise in patience. Wow. Yeah, it's 13 years, actually, since I first got the idea. Wow. So those are both Fibonacci numbers. So I have to <laughs> Look at that. comfort myself that way. Oh, that's great. Um, but so, yeah, I got the book and I was um, really curious to know how he would kind of bring the Fibonacci sequence to life. Yes. Uh, and one of my fears going into it would, that, would be that it would be too pedantic or obvious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, it's, it's quite the opposite. It's yes. very subtle. And what he's done um, is that he, he thought to himself, you know, there are, there are numbers that are assigned to the colors we use on computers so that we can keep track of them. Yeah. What would happen if I used colors that had uh, Fibonacci numbers, right. those, that's the hex code numbers, right. and combine them according to the sequence. And so he, he came up with some really extraordinary colors and combinations 
yellows, minty greens, turquoise, magenta, and over more time, intense and less intense as yeah, you go so, through the sequence. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So he wanted really to create a really calm space for mm -hmm. readers in this mm -hmm. book. Mm -hmm. So the book starts with kind of muted, soft mm -hmm. colors. It begins the first day of school. Um, Leo's kind of not interacting. There's a lot of beige, a lot of white space. Mm -hmm. And as we go on, it gets a little more cluttered. Um, there's a schoolyard scene that's got black asphalt and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but Leah arrives partway through the school year and she's drawing with these beautiful, vibrant colors that start creeping into the text. Mm -hmm. And well, there's just an explosively wonderful moment towards the end of the book where mm -hmm. the two kids connect yeah. um, through really, I mean, the connection is that math and yeah. art are both based on patterns yes <laughs> and not only that yes so is life exactly exactly yeah. oh no this wasn't some <laughs> crazy goofy idea i had no i think it was it felt very important to me to to highlight that fact and make it relevant show the relevance of it which your book does so yes yeah yeah so i think i think it's it's a much it's a much larger story, really. Yes. They find their connection to each other, but yes. to the universe, yes. like a plant that says, ah, I'm here. Yes. I have room to grow. Yes. And I, in, in, when I first came up with the book, I had more conflict between Leo and the school administration. And with adults, I would say. Uh -huh. he, I had him have uh, his parents were struggling, his teacher was struggling, the principal, the PE coach, all these people came into play. Huh. But I, I pared it down and pared it down because I realized that I wanted to tell a story where actually the story is one of Leo kind of embracing who he is, just continuing uh, to be himself. And ultimately, mm -hmm. Uh, it, it's very beautiful because the teacher supports him in that. So yes. it's really modeling a classroom where a, a child, because he's given room to be himself, yes, because she says, yeah, you, you can count, just, just don't do it so loudly that we can't hear the story. Um, he blossoms. Yeah. And also the way he's allowed to take some space from all the chaos of the kids sometimes too you know yeah. and that he 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 calls that need for himself and communicates that and and gives that to him get as being is able to have that for himself yeah that's a, a really big moment in the book when he yes. actually is able to identify yes. that he's getting overwhelmed yes but the numbers aren't soothing him because there's too much to count um there's balls bouncing children yes. cheering hands clapping yeah. and he's he's been carefully counting through his school days and suddenly yeah. it's too much yeah and he says i'm i'm gonna go get some peace yeah and that was a big back and forth between me and the illustrator as well because i have kids in the berkeley schools they they lived on an environment they had an environmental playground it was actually 
one of the first in the country. It was established in the 70s. Mm. Used to have a creek running through it. Mm. That's been totally paved over. It's a Berkeley Mm. public school, but um, there was a garden, of course. Mm-hmm. you know so I had just imagined that Leo would take time in the garden mm-hmm. but the the illustrator kind of had him running off into the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and I was kind of I was uncomfortable with that it looked really kind of scary to me and unexpected mm-hmm. and um, we had a, a sensitivity reader um, who's on the spectrum and gives advice on books for kids wow. on the spectrum yeah wow. and she we didn't tell her what our concern was but yes. she read the book she loved it yes. and then she said but I'm really concerned about what's happening right here where is he going yes and so we did some kind of moving of pages around and we and we and we created a little orchard so that it felt safer and he had more kind of um agency he knew he was going off to this garden yes so you know it was a really interesting collaborative process beautiful with um the right the right person as a consultant it seems like oh I was so grateful and honored is that through Scholastic that you got that consult wow Mm -hmm. wow that makes me appreciate Scholastic even more wow yeah. And then the fact that um, that that Leah, the artist, needs that peaceful environment as well, uh, ambiance as well, in order to do what she needs to do. And so they they share that, and that's a beautiful beautiful thing to share with someone else. I mean, it's like fundamental. It's foundational. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a very beautiful thing for me as well. I didn't have Leah as a character originally. I just was mm-hmm. very focused on Leo. Mm-hmm. I wasn't necessarily telling a friendship story. Um, mm-hmm. My interest in it was more just the ways in which if you feel different, maybe you can't find your people at school. Mm-hmm. Because I remember that feeling. I spent mm-hmm. probably kindergarten and first grade just playing by myself on the playground and I'm, I'm quite a loner. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, maybe, no, I shouldn't say I'm a loner. I am an introvert. Mm-hmm. So I need alone time. Yeah. Um, and so on the playground, I was just really overwhelmed by mm-hmm. um, what the kids were doing and why they would want to do that. Yeah. So I just went into my make-believe world. I had a little spot on the playground where I would sit and tear little leaves into fancy salads for, I don't know, fairies or something, you know? Um, And so I was interested in that story of how a kid could just be content doing their own thing. Yes. But um, I did eventually collect friends who wanted to make salads with me in the corner of the playground. And so I was trying really hard to write this book um, and to give it a satisfying emotional shape. And then one day Leah just showed up Uh partway through the school year. And I thought, oh, this could be interesting if even though they have different activities, they find um, commonality in their desire to do their own thing. Yes. You know, parallel play together so indeed yeah Leah you can find her on the playground kind of going off very self-possessedly with Mm -hmm. her drawing Mm -hmm. notebook she knows Mm -hmm. she's not going to hang around on that playground Mm -hmm. but it takes Leo you know half a school year to realize he can follow her 
to the garden and that there he discovers that her drawings are full of the numbers that he's been in patterns yeah 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 Yeah. and and I love that and that's what I I mean about this book being so alive on the subtle and feeling levels of just subtle feelings you know way beyond the senses but just but just the from the heart I just that's what I really really responded to so yeah and you actually have had experiences we're not just talking theory you've gone into classrooms and you read this even zoom with zoom to students and I was so happy to hear the that the little kids young kids who we think just need to do picked up on this picked up on the tenderness of it and the subtlety and the word choices so give us some stories about that please yeah, that's an amazing experience um, mm-hmm. for a writer finally to be able to mm. go into a classroom uh, mm. or an auditorium, really, with I think the first the first big reading I gave was like 100 kids all, you know, sitting wow. crisscross applesauce on the floor. Wow. And what age? Yeah, what age? Yeah, they were um, kindergarten to second grade. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, um so I, I, and I started it because I was just bringing this one book. Um, I started it with information about the Fibonacci sequence and mm-hmm. that was fun and interactive. And I got to talk about how you, thousands of years ago, Indian poets were writing with the Fibonacci sequence before it was even called the Fibonacci sequence. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the kids got to do some addition and things like that. But then I finally get to the moment where I get to read the book. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's incredible to have all these little bodies stilled and their, their, their eyes just focused. And one of the things I had talked about was, of course, that the words on each page were increasing and then decreasing. Mm-hmm. And so I could see that for some of them, that was really, um, they were, you know, you could see them one. You know, they, they were literally counting. Yeah. Um, but for others, when I get, there's some silent spreads in the middle where you don't know where Leo's going and, and they're just, they're so engrossed. The, the thing that just moved me the most though, was when I got to the end. Um, and in fact, this has happened in every place that I've given a reading. When I get to the final word, there's kind of this gasp. Because, and I think it's because of a couple of things. One is that there is something really satisfying about patterns. Humans love patterns. We look for patterns. So even if you'd forgotten that it was following a pattern, you feel it on a deep level when the book returns to one word, Mm -hmm. because it's so unusual for a book to end with one word. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unusual for it to start with one word. That was the huge challenge of the book is Mm -hmm. to you know, write with a a restricted number of words. Mm -hmm. But um, so I feel that and I've heard kids go one, (laughs) you know, like they recognize that Mm -hmm. one word is on the last page. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that happens is that the last word is skyward, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a mysterious word in the context of the book. And one that certainly I, as soon as I wrote that word, took me several years to get there. I thought that's the word 
mm-hmm. but I, I had doubts, you know, mm-hmm. whenever you write something that's really doing something, you have yeah. doubts. Sure. So um, to my great pleasure, the very first question I got asked in this huge auditorium was a little kid waving frantically. And he said, what is the connection between Skyward and math? <laughs> and wow. I, a little part of me kind of trembled, yeah. but then I realized he's not challenging me. Mm-hmm. He's, he's curious. Right. So for that first kid, I explained that for me, it felt like the final word was saying, look, these numbers are all around us. There's this giant sky in the book. Leo and Leah have found that they are connected to something bigger than them. Love it. Um, yeah. And he just, his eyes got so big and this shiver went through his body and he, and he said, yeah. So, you know, I think that's a little kid who, you know, he's philosophical and mathematical and, and all of that. The next school that I went to at some point, a kid did raise their hand and say, um, she, she phrased it differently. She said, what does skyward mean? Uh-huh. So the kid right next to her wave, started waving his hand. And so I said, well, you know, maybe, maybe he can help. And, and he said, well, skyward means that you're heading for the sky. So yeah. I thought, well, well, that's nice. I don't know if she didn't know the definition and if she didn't, that was helpful. So I turned back to her and cause you know, the first, at the first reading, when I'd been asked that question, I felt I have to answer. But by now I'm feeling like a teacher again, Uh, I'm going to interact. So I turned back to the girl and I said, so I I don't know if you wanted a definition, but you know, he defined it really well, but what do you think it means in the book? Yes. And she said, oh, I think it means that numbers keep getting bigger and bigger. And I love that little, that, that people have different answers like that's another fantastic answer and for those kids who just love that numbers get bigger and bigger yeah you know for the kids who walk around talking about billions and you know google plexes and you know there's always those kids in kindergarten classrooms who want to talk the biggest numbers possible um that's that's what the book does it says yeah you can you can keep on going forever Right. So, and, you know, I've had adults who've written to me and said, oh, this is about the paradox of existence or (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it all. Yes. (laughs) Well, uh, it's, it's, it's all true with your book. That's what I love about it. It doesn't force us into one. And uh, I'm, I'm big for that. I'm big on, you know, show me something wonderful to look at, but do not tell me what I need to think about it, you know, give me some information, but yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so um, I know I did have one reviewer who kind of um, suggested that it, 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 it would have been better if it had been more instructive about the Fibonacci sequence. And Uh then, you know, if you really wanted to learn about the Fibonacci sequence, you should go (laughs) elsewhere. (laughs) you know and of course that hurt at first Mm -hmm. but then Mm -hmm. I thought well actually (laughs) I'm not trying pedantically to teach you about the Fibonacci sequence if you want to know more about it I have information on the back in the back yeah Yeah. but I wanted to do this 
other subtle thing, which has to do with feeling. And I uh, have been, I realized in in preparing for this that I was really influenced by um, a a writer and thinker, an educator named Joe, Joe Bowler. Um, from Stanford, who who did an amazing um, TEDx talk, actually about emotions and math and how Whoa. our cognition is um, affects our ability to do math, and that um, if we if we enter with confidence and curiosity, and we make a mistake. Mm-hmm. our brains actually grow more of course so it is better than you know having to answer right or wrong on a spreadsheet on a worksheet and being told you're wrong and then you feel bad as opposed to engaging with math on an um on in an emotionally excited way mm-hmm. and as i said i was a kid who got quite intimidated by math and stopped paying attention to it mm-hmm. uh and so for me a book, a book that tells a story where that suggests that somehow math is exciting mm. is enough. I, I don't need to be teaching them how the Fibonacci sequence works or what ratios of Fibonacci numbers are, or all of that stuff is actually beyond me. Mm-hmm. So my publisher said, actually, that's what makes you perfect to write a book for young children about mm. the Fibonacci sequence is that you're, you're approaching it on, on their level, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and I did a ton of research and I, I consulted with Keith Devlin, the, the Fibonacci expert also from Stanford. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, way beyond what felt like my league. Cause mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure I didn't say anything silly, mm-hmm. not, you know, not mathematical about the Fibonacci sequence. Cause there's a lot of not mathematical stuff about the Fibonacci sequence floating around the web. Uh, so I read a lot of books and tried to understand it wow. as fully as I could. Wow. But then, it, you know, writing for kids is all about taking really complex stuff and simplifying it. And showing that it, showing how it shows, helping kids to see how it shows up in life in terms that, that they can see without while still respecting their intelligence, which if we let it be, is is pretty more impressive than we sometimes give them credit for. Absolutely. I am. A I huge... mean, how many times when you were a little kid, did you feel like they don't understand or, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. I am a huge believer in respecting children's yes. intelligence. So am I. So yeah. Am I. Yeah. And I think that's what your book does. Yeah. yeah. And that's why your book is worth, I mean, it's worth, I've gone through it at least four times now. And every time it's just like, just like, whoa, I didn't see that the first time, you know? And, and, And that's one of the things that I love about it. But I still feel that the reason that I wanted to share this with the listeners is because on, on a deep and quiet level, it is also about a friendship that was able to happen based on these patterns that are um, kind of described or defined by the Fibonacci sequence. 
And this is all very subtle stuff. So I don't know who's going to work at this, but you know, it's not that hard of work. It just takes reading it and reading it a few times and probably experiencing it with kids to have it unfold for all of us. Yes. Well, it's definitely a book that needs champions like, like you, because it's very easy to read it quickly Yes, and say, oh, that was cute. I've had quite a few people who did not realize that it was following the Fibonacci sequence. Yes. And I'm talking people I've done interviews with and, you know, where it suddenly occurs to them that the reason the words are increasing on the page is they're following a pattern, even though it says it on the fly leaf, you know, it's, um, yeah, you, you can't read it quickly and get the depth of it. And of course, we are a culture that is training ourselves mm. to do everything quickly. Get it done, move on to the next. Yeah. yeah. So a picture book is one of those places where you can also speed through it, but it really begs to be held and slowly gone through. And especially those silent spreads, what what are you going to do? Just flip through them? Those yeah. silent spreads of... Yeah. Canard packs are particularly spectacular with yes. giant sky, just luminous. Uh, and so I think sitting and reading and rereading, which we have to do with all great art, is to approach it over and over. So I'm I say that realizing I just said great art. And I don't necessarily want to say, I'm not trying to boast here. I'm just saying perhaps one no, needs to read it multiple times. And sh- share share reading it multiple times. Oh, that's, yeah. And then what I think also, I, I really wanted to um, encourage anyone who wants to find this book and see what it inspires for them is the fact that I think it would, as you have shown, the uh, uh, platform for beautiful conversations with children that would be way beyond the norm. And when we can do that for children and we can find the jewels in this book, every time we go through it, we'll see new jewels. Then we can have new topics of conversation from this one book that are just deeper and wider and just go in that pattern even. Yeah. I, mean, I can really geek out on this book, Monica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just looking at it again before this conversation because I know that we had talked about all the patterns I haven't yet seen in it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, I, I just realized how perfectly symmetrical it is. If you kind of flip from, from end to end and reach the middle, yeah. uh, you yeah. see that when there's thir- there's 13 snowflakes early on and then there's 13 uh flower petals you know that so you go from winter to spring um there's 21 uh uh 21 words on the page uh in the first half where the teacher is reading and the kids are all sitting in a circle around her and then there's 21 leaves that leah has drawn towards the end of the book but what's there's a reversal which is that, that leo and leah are the ones presenting to the circle of children and the teacher. So there's a, there's a a conversation right there. Yeah. About what children can teach 
educators. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Are you familiar with Lillian Katz? She's an educator. Um, she's uh, known worldwide, uh, mm -hmm. internationally as an educator, but she talks about the importance of having conversations that, that are continuous and they develop on a topic and they develop it and develop it and, and unfold it and, and explore and, and widen the, the, what is included in that starting topic. And I think that this book does that beautifully. And then of course she talks about the brain science. And if we can give young children those kinds of experiences and enliven those kind of neuronal connections and get them exercising those kinds of patterns in their own brains. I mean, I just want the listeners here to understand this is not some whimsy that I invited you for this conversation. I think this book, if it is a treasure that just needs to be explored quietly and carefully and uh, respectfully and with um, curiosity and expectations that your expectations will probably be superseded by things that you could not have possibly expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm amazed as well. I'm on a panel for the National Council of Teachers and of English. Yeah, that's okay. NCTE. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, in, <laughs> yeah, I had to look up the acronym in, yeah. uh, in uh, Southern California at, at the end of November. And the panel, I don't remember the exact title, but it's something about books that will help children as they return to the classroom after the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, how interesting. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really thought of it that mm -hmm. way, mm -hmm. but this um, sense that it, uh, I mean, I knew this, but it's a story of Leo finding a way to be comfortable in the classroom in his mm -hmm. own way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, so that's, so that's one panel. I'm, I just, it got, just got named, just got put on a list of books that are great for teaching math. Well, I want that as well, yeah. you know? Yeah. Why not have it be part of a math lesson? Yeah. We, we hear all the time about um, educators and publishers wanting more STEAM books, mm -hmm. meaning, you know, science, mm -hmm. technology, mm -hmm. engineering, art and math. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. that acronym. Mm -hmm. All those mm -hmm. things, they want all those things mm -hmm. in a book. Mm -hmm. But I think very often when we think about that, um, it, it, we go to that more, kind of a factual teaching kind of book mm -hmm. black and white yeah and I feel Facts, like yeah you know this is a steam book yes. to me this is a steam book and maybe yes. it's a steam book that is written more for children who are less into science and technology and math than right. than I was and that's that's fine <laughs> you know um but to but, be exposed to the relevance yeah. which I didn't get for a long time. Well, I know. And interestingly, both, I have two boys. They're both really into math and science. That mm -hmm. is their, well, actually they're both really into science. They're both mm -hmm. really good at math. Mm -hmm. They're both really skeptical about math. They both feel that math is somehow useless and irritating. And 
my husband's tearing his hair out and saying, but you need math for everything. If you want to be a biologist, this is system. But I think the way it's taught, it just feels so uh, rote. And there's a lot they have to learn. But um, it's as if they, they keep forgetting that they're taking what they learn in math and applying it to all the amazing things they love about science. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I certainly was, no one ever explained to me why negative numbers mattered. Mm-hmm. I really thought it was just a made up thing for, for irritating us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it felt to me like I was being taught about, um, I know, ghosts or something. It was, it was yeah. scary and upsetting to yes. think about negative numbers, right. but if, you know, if it had explained that, you know, here is, here is, you know, zero and, and how do you, you know, I don't know. It seems that there could have been ways to talk about how yeah. it, yeah. how it mattered, how it exists in the world. So yeah. that's really what I want to do. I want to say, look, math is all around us and you might not be able to see it right. specifically. There aren't numbers floating around on these pages. But math informs this whole book. Yes. It's in all the petals of all the flowers. It's, it's in the colors that were used. It's in the shape and size of the book. Uh, none of this could be done without math. Right. It'd be pure chaos. Yeah. Yeah. And it wouldn't make sense. And um, to make it relevant is just such a gift to everybody. Absolutely. And you have a, a beautiful website that people can go to and maybe experience a little bit more of the, you know, put some action into these uh, abstract thoughts we're talking about. Um, yeah, you know. I have, um, uh, I mean, there's, there's interviews and things like that on there, but I also mm-hmm. just put up a handout uh, for teachers, which shows how you can use the Fibonacci sequence in a writing lesson. And uh, the funny thing is that this was my novel idea. Mm-hmm. Turns out I'm not the first. No one's ever the first. These nope. ideas develop nope. over time. So yes. Yes. as I mentioned, yes. poets in India thousands of years ago were using yes. this pattern to count the syllables in their poetry. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's an author named Greg Pincus. Turns out he started a whole movement. He's got a website with Fibonacci poems, which he calls the fib, he calls the form the fib. Uh. <laughs> um, you know, but it's like it's like haiku. Um, yes, it, it, you know, although it doesn't have that same long history um, yeah. as a form. But on my website, you can find a handout where I explain that you can use the Fibonacci sequence as a form. And that there's many ways to use it as a form. So for a child who doesn't really want to think up their own form, hey, here's a template. But for the kid who does want to think up their own form, I suggest that you can use the Fibonacci sequence however you want. So, um, you know, I have I have templates where you count syllables, mm-hmm. one syllable, one syllable, two, three, five, mm-hmm. you know, or go up to five and go back down to one, but you can also count words. Counting syllables is a great thing for kids to do, but counting words is also, there's much more freedom in that. And, you know, thinking that way 
just with Fibonacci numbers. There's just, it's, there's so much creativity in certain kinds of restriction. Yes. <laughs> and nature will attest to that, right? Yeah. Nature, what's more creative than nature? And nature has these restrictions, the, the shape of galaxies. That's the right. Sunflower seeds, you know, and right. still there's all the variety in the sunflower, in the galaxy. And yeah. yet it has that order and that intelligence and that, yeah. Yeah. Structure. Yeah. Right. So for me, yeah. it was a huge restriction to write a book where I had to count words on every page yes. and it yes. forced me to be super creative. So that's what I'm offering to kids is, Hey, Beautiful. what happens if you have to count every word? What are the, you know, greatest, juiciest words you could use uh, to say something that, that matters in this small form? I also think restriction can um, be um, relieving where you feel that you're, it's, you can't, it's not that you can do anything. In fact, you, you're, you're sometimes when choices are limited, it's relaxing because you think, well, these are my choices. So it's like rules in a game. Yeah. 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 Or a so, friendship rule. There are rules in friendship. That's right. That that's you, right. You don't be unkind and you don't be rude and you, do be careful with the other person's feelings and you do honor someone's need to be quiet or alone. And, and, and I, I do want to bring it back to social emotional learning because that's, right. that's what this podcast is about. Uh, is there any way that you could bring it back to SEL, social emotional learning? Yeah, I think so much of life is learning to move back and forth between rules and freedom. Mm. Uh, and so, yes, children need to learn uh, or be exposed to mm. what ex social expectations mm. are, but not feel squelched mm -hmm. as if they can't challenge or interact or modify. Or be themselves. Or be them. Yeah. How do you be yourself? Right. And. I mean, I, I talk to my students, I teach creative writing to, to adults. I talk to them all about this as well, that I'm giving you rules. I always put rules in quotes, you know, I'm letting you know that there are ways to write that have worked for other people. And I want you to know that your imagination is yours and amazing and boundless and so the, it's a dance of going back and forth between trying to fit and letting yourself be as big as possible. Yeah. I'm, that's a lifetime game. It is. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Just very profound. You know, I, I hope listeners can really appreciate and tune into to what you you've brought and created and brought to us. Um, what's, what is, and I'll put your website, but if people are just listening, you want to yeah. spell it out for us? Yes. Well, the www part's easy. Indeed. It's my name. That's a little harder. Indeed. So Monica, M O N. I-C-A, Wesolaska, W-E-S-O-L-O-W, 
S-K-A.com. Really good. And it's a, it's a beautiful, simple, clear, very clear and informative website. And uh, teachers can just go and get a couple of those resources. Absolutely. That, yeah. yeah. Those, those are just downloadable. Use them, you know, spread Great. the word about my book. If yeah. you, if you love it, you know, of course. And share conversations with kids about the book, you yeah. know, about the reading when you read through the book and ask open-ended questions and see. And I'm sure that if, if teachers or parents read this book with their kid, like this week, and then in a week again, read it and asked different questions, there'd be a whole other conversations that would come from it. Yeah, that could go on. That's wonderful. Yeah. And it makes me think that I should, I should start collecting those questions that it raises and also put those on my website. That would be, yeah. A huge, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm also, you know, I would love, I love, and <laughs> I love interacting with, with kids of that age. I mean, I used to volunteer in my kids' classrooms, you know, to sure. read books. So I'm also available um, for school visits. You can find that on my website as good, well. Good, good. In person or even on Zoom. In right? Zoom. Yeah. Good. Okay. Because you're in California. So yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, Wonderful. I, yeah, it, it was, it's a, a, just thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. It's great to have um, an adult perspective uh, <laughs> on why this book is so great for kids, you yeah. know, because um, yeah. I've, I've gotten a little sense of that from children, um, but it's nice to have it affirmed from adults who are fine, who, you know, you found so much more in it that is emotionally satisfying exactly and um I was a teacher for over 20 years and just I just enjoy kids so much so I I probably notice how they notice things so probably I just kind of brought that into the conversation quite a bit because the freshness there is something that we all benefit from not quite forgetting because that used to be us too so yeah yeah that's right we don't have to lose that that's yeah. right. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Is there anything else you want to share or? Um, um, I do have another book coming out. Okay. So it, that's will be coming in February. It's called Albert in the Air about a boy who floats into the air at birth and his mother supports him. Wow. So, yeah. So despite the fact that people in town have never encountered something like this. He just keeps on floating higher and higher. And I'm, I'm pretty excited to get out there. And it's a similar conversation without, yes. without math. <laughs> Very cool. Maybe we'll have another conversation here on the podcast then. That would be wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Nini. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I will put your website up on the show's notes and uh, anything else that you want me to put up there okay yeah that sounds good good all right all right thank you all right bye 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 so just a quick reminder to check out monica's website for more info and a resource or two that will help you to extend students learning around leo and leah's perspectives and around the fibonacci sequence also in the show's notes, I've included a link to learn more about Joe Bowler. 
and educator Monica mentioned, who's helped thousands upon thousands of young students grow in confidence around mathematics, banishing their math anxiety. Where was she when I was a kid? Because I absolutely relate to the fact that anxiety, whatever its cause, uh, does impact a child's sense of self to one degree or another, which will impact a child's mindset and interactions, which is one of the many reasons this, the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast, has such a wide-armed embrace around a full variety of influences and experiences that impact our students' development. Joe Bowler is a professor of mathematics education at the Stanford Graduate School of Education, and she has headed up powerfully engaging projects that empower educators, even early childhood educators, with accessible and practical approaches to teaching mathematics. Her website provides tons of free resources, and the link is uh, in the show's notes, but it's ucubed.org. Y-O-U-C-U-B-E-D.org. If you're interested, I also highly recommend a conversation Joe Bowler shared with Lex Friedman, and there's a link to that in the show's notes as well. In a future episode, I plan to share more insights about how to develop conversation with young ones so they have the benefit of gaining skills around expressing their own ideas and about following and exploring topics of interest so that the architecture, the physical architecture of their brains can receive the benefit of more fully and, and, and well-integrated neural pathways. I love this stuff. I think it is fascinating, and I know it's important, and I, and I trust that you do too. Okay, until next time. Oh, okay, Instagram. It would be great if you'd follow this, the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast there on Instagram. Okay, for real now. Bye. Bye.